We used to think our genetics were 100% of the equation. You know, if I have this genetic tendency, forget it, going to happen to my health. But now we know that's not the case. Genetics are somewhere between 10 and 15% of the equation. So it's an important part and we can use it to our advantage. But really the part of the equation where we have the most power to make a difference is in our stress recovery. The more we help our bodies out with stress, we decrease our genetic tendencies and we improve our health. You're listening to Muscle Medicine, where we debunk the myths in the health and wellness world to bring you the latest updates in exercise, rehab, and nutrition from industry leaders. Join your host, Dr. Emily Kybert, chiropractor and movement expert, as she brings you simple, actionable tips to reach your fullest potential. Dr. Emily Kybert here with Muscle Medicine Podcast. Today we sit down with Dr. Donnie Wilson, a naturopathic doctor, professional midwife, clinical nutritionist, and best-selling author practicing in New York City and Connecticut. She is a recognized expert in stress-related illnesses. Dr. Donnie specializes in helping patients address and overcome autoimmune diseases such as Hashimoto's, Crohn's, and rheumatoid arthritis, genetic mutations, especially the MTHFR gene, and hormonal imbalances. She has written several best-selling books, including Stress Warrior and Insomnia, A Natural Guide to Better Sleep. Donnie is the creator of the Stress Remedy 7-Day and 21-Day programs. Today, Donnie and I talk about stress. I know we all have stress in our lives, so this is really for everyone. We talk about the detrimental effects of chronic stress on the body, how stress can affect our thyroid, our adrenal glands, our hormones, what are the best tests to ask your doctor for to check to see if you have chronic stress in your life, how we can start to set habits in place to combat unnecessary stress, and how overtraining, for example, working out too much, can be just as detrimental as not working out at all. Donnie is amazing and so sweet, and New York City is so lucky to have her here. If you feel like muscle medicine is adding value, go to iTunes, rate and review, tell us what you think of this episode. Can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. Dr. Donnie Wilson, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. You are a naturopathic doctor in New York City, which is a rare find right? Because there's not many in New York. And you also have a practice in Connecticut and you have a couple books about stress. So especially in New York, because everyone is running around like chicken with their head cut off (laughs) from one thing to the next, I could say that probably most people feel stressed. How does, from what you've seen in your practice and working with clients, how does stress present in the body? Because some people can feel stressed and maybe not even know it, like not have a little disconnect from the head to the physical body? Definitely. Oh, and thank you. I, I love talking about stress. I mean, we definitely, I joke sometimes being in Manhattan is, you know, sort of the classic location for being stressed. And even when I first moved here, which was about 17 years ago, it was a really particularly stressful time in Manhattan. And I had been already researching stress at that point, And it just made me dive even deeper into understanding how stress affects us. So in terms of your question, I think it makes all the difference for us to just kind of embrace stress because for so long we would 
for a lot of people still, we kind of dismiss it. Like, of course we're stressed. It's Manhattan. There's a lot to get done. We're going to be stressed. The thing I think that's different is if we can actually face the stress and look at it and see how it affects us, then we can be proactive about supporting our bodies to be healthy while stressed. I call it being a stress warrior. You know, how to be a warrior in this war of stress and this game of stress that we do every day. Which is the title of one of your books. It is. I love it. Yes. So how does someone know that they're stressed, like physical manifestations? It can really vary from person to person. Some people will like say have heart palpitations or increase in anxiety or difficulty with their sleep or other person might be getting digestive issues. You know, classic would be an ulcer. In some ways we, it's so automatic that we would think if my stomach hurts or I get a stomach ulcer, we know those are caused by stress and the research demonstrates it. And it actually happens. Patients will come into me and say, I have a stomach ulcer. I have I was under a bunch of stress. I was just pushing myself through it. And then I got diagnosed with this ulcer. And now what am I going to do? And so it's kind of an eye opener to realize how stress can affect our health on a physical level. And to not just solve the ulcer, but to go through a stress recovery and then kind of a stress reset I call it, and then building your resilience to stress because there is a way I've, I'm kind of a stressed person too. I'm in Manhattan. I'm running a busy practice and writing books. And so I joke that it's, I've had to learn how to support my body under stress, which is what I end up sharing through what I write and and with patients I work with. How, how do I stay healthy while stressed? And if I can do it, you can do it too. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes people see all stressors as a negative And that's not true. Like there's some stress that is actually positive, like working out and exercising or lifting weights is a stressor, but the benefit comes from the recovery after and the adaptation to that stress. Is that? That's that's exactly a really good point because see, sometimes we dismiss stress and then the alternative is we end up thinking we're supposed to somehow eliminate all stress, which is impossible first of all, but even if we could, it wouldn't be a good thing because what we know about the human body is that we do best. We thrive the most when we have some amount of stress we need a little bit of adrenaline and cortisol. We want to feel inspired. We want to own businesses. We want to be parents. We want to have jobs. Those things all involve a little bit of stress, which is good for us. Our bodies are actually built to adapt to stress. It's just that sometimes we overdo it because we're thinking I got more things to get done in a shorter amount of time. And so it's more often is that we overdo the stress. So it's not about eliminating all stress. It's about how to choose your stress wisely and then also choose ways to support yourself under stress. So what kind of testing do you do with your clients to see if stress has a The chronic stress has a negative impact on their body. And I think this is a test that everyone should have done because we're all stressed and there's something we can do about it to support ourselves. So first step is how is stress affecting you? Because it really is individualized. It's individualized based on our genetics. We know that based on our genetics, we're going to have different responses to stress. It's also based on our exposure to stress earlier in life. So if we have early childhood stress or any time in our life stress, that's going to shift 
how your body responds to stress versus my body. And so we're going to look at cortisol levels and adrenaline levels because cortisol is our main stress hormone and then adrenaline is a stress neurotransmitter. And these can be measured usually in urine or saliva. Now you can measure cortisol in a blood work, but the best information is to test cortisol throughout a day because really cortisol should be higher in the morning and gradually decreasing through the day. So we want to know what is your cortisol in the morning versus the middle of the day versus the evening and the bedtime. And it's easier to do that by spitting in a tube or collecting a urine sample. Right. And then we can see that pattern. Is your cortisol too high at certain times a day, too low at certain times a day? It's so individualized that I don't recommend guessing. I did a study in my practice of 127 adults because I wanted to find out, can I just guess that most people have high cortisol? And a lot of times people come in and they'll say, I think I probably have high cortisol, but I want to know much more specifically, is it high in the morning? Is it high in the middle of the day? Is it high in the evening? Is it really high? Maybe it's low part of the time. And the treatment is different. So if it's a high cortisol, I'm going to use different herbs and nutrients and treatments than if it's a low cortisol. So to really be strategic in your stress recovery, you got to first get your numbers. What is your cortisol different times a day? And then same with adrenaline. What I found with my study is if, if we add to that, what is your adrenaline level, which is a urine test. Most practitioners are not doing these tests, by the way. You're not going to, like, if you go into the regular doctor's office or endocrinologist, they're not, they're not going to run these kinds of tests. You need to be working with a, you know, naturopathic doctor, a functional medicine doctor who specializes in this to help you with your stress recovery. We're, I'm not talking about a situation where, say, someone's adrenal gland, adrenal glands make cortisol and adrenaline. And it, there are situations where the adrenals basically completely go off track. Either, they're like the little cushions on top of the kidneys. Yeah, they're right above the kidneys. They make a lot of hormones, but they make cortisol and adrenaline. It's possible that they might go way over shooting on the cortisol. That's called Cushing's disease, or they could to completely bottom out. And that's called Addison's disease. And an endocrinologist would be looking for those conditions. What I'm talking about is in the middle, you know, the situation where it's not that extreme, but it could be more optimal. And if we can help our bodies recover and optimize the cortisol and adrenaline, we're way more likely to be, first of all, feeling good in the day to day. My patients within a month are seeing doubling their energy, improving their sleep, got their focus back, feeling like themselves again, even saying, I feel like I'm 20 years younger because they've got their stress hormones back on track. Not only that, but we can be preventing chronic dementia, heart disease, diabetes. If we can manage this cortisol and adrenaline and stress response, then that's your best way to be your healthiest self for as long as possible. So if someone goes to their traditional medical doctor and that doctor has done a blood test, it's not very accurate, right? Because it's just giving like a glimpse, like unless you've really rolled out of bed and rolled into the blood draw lab, basically, in that well, first half hour, maybe. Yeah. So say you do a fasting morning cortisol level. Yeah. Now you're going to know what your cortisol is at that time of day. Right. But it's not going to show you what is it up to the whole rest of the day. And... Even if it showed you, okay, it's a bit high, you can start to address it. 
but again, you don't know the whole rest of the picture. So you're, you know, to me, it's, I don't want to waste time doing, get it with yeah. part of the information better yeah. to like, Hey, if we, if our goal is to feel your best, perform the best, you know, like say you've got a business to run, you've got a family to take care of. The goal is to be this high performer, feeling your best every day to do that. That's a different than maybe sort of like the standard medical care. This, this is like, Hey, I want to be my best. How do I get that information? Yeah. Is it the Dutch test that you use that is a tracking throughout the day? Is that the one? I, yeah. Dutch test is a, is a great one. That's the one that's a urine cortisol. Yeah. So you're doing a urine sample at four different times a day. There are also panels that are saliva or salivary cortisol. So you can be spitting in a tube checking the cortisol. And that's also an option. So I'll use both. So what do you teach people? So let's say someone comes in and they have the tests show that they have adrenal distress. Mm -hmm. What are some solutions or tools that you give them that I'm sure are in your stress warrior book? Yeah, the stress warrior book. I, I describe all of this. And then what, what happens is we can get very individualized because we can see, oh, okay, maybe it's that the cortisol is too low in the morning and maybe too high at the night. Now, what I found, and this is thousands of patients and almost 20 years of doing this, is that we need to do it in a systematic way. Like it's tempting when I see results come in to want to go after a low cortisol first thing because the person probably feels tired. It's just that I've learned that that can backfire on us. Mm. And so it's really important to first start I call it helping the person get out of stress mode first. I think so often we're walking around in stress mode, like with these symptoms we're talking about, either anxious or not sleeping, digestive issues, maybe you keep getting sick with different colds or you found out you have autoimmunity. The body's in stress mode. So we first have to get the body out of stress mode. We need to calm, create a lot of calmness, more calm in the nervous system. And we need to drop the cortisol when it's too high. So that's where I start. I use herbs and nutrients to do that. Any favorites? Yeah. When cortisol is too elevated, which I'll often see that in the evening, but sometimes it's morning also, high cortisol. I find that one of the best nutrients is called phosphatidylserine. Phosphatidylserine is good amount of research to show that it can help, but I find that it needs to be in combination with another herb. Most often I use it in combination with an herb called banaba leaf. Banaba leaf. Okay. So phosphatidylserine and banaba leaf is my first go to because I see it work with the highest percentage of time. There's others as well. A lot of people will ask me about ashwagandha because a lot of people have heard of ashwagandha and ashwagandha has been researched to help with cortisol levels. It seems in the research that it's best at decreasing a cortisol that's too high. So sometimes we will use it if it's if the cortisol is too high. I have to say though, the phosphatidylserine and banaba leaf combination seems to be more effective than ashwagandha in most cases. But again, I would start with one and we recheck and see, hey, is it working? If not, move on to the next possibility. Yeah, yeah. So other than supplements, what other kind of recommendations do you recommend? Oh, I love it. I talk about it in terms of the word care. So care as an acronym. So C is for clean eating. So we do. I do a lot of help with choosing foods that are not stressful because we know if we're eating, say, sugar or high carb or or even just large meals or processed foods, those are stressful for our body. It's going to affect the cortisol levels as well. So we want to choose as best as possible clean eating. A in care is for adequate sleep. So really trying to clean up your sleep. How can you make sure you're getting to bed early enough so that you're going to 
hopefully get at least seven and a half to eight hours of sleep. Which is like unheard of in New York sometimes. I know, <laughs> right? like, I had someone be like, one of my patients be like, I'll sleep when I die. And I was like, oh God, I don't just say heard that. that yesterday too. <laughs> we were told, you know, sleep when you die. It's just that the more we sleep, the more we get our stress recovery and the better we function the next day. So even if you start by trying to get an extra half an hour, and just try to build on that extra half an hour, extra half an hour each night until you try to get to seven and a half hours. And this is something I have to really work hard at as well. You know, being able to, you know, turn off the lights, turn off the devices or, you know, so you're not getting exposed to a lot of bright light at night, get your melatonin working for you, you know, get that recovery sleep time. It can make a huge difference. So it's not only quantity, but quality. Quality. Right. So what kind of stuff do you recommend for like quality sleep? Well, I would say even just start by going in your bedroom, even during the daytime and kind of check it out and go, Hey, are there lights? Are there noises? Is it clean? Do What do I need to do to declutter? How can I set myself up so that when I'm coming in my bedroom, it's ready for sleep. I think you also need to kind of see for yourself what works like completely dark room is considered best. So you might need to get some blackout curtains. Some people prefer having, you know, need to have earplugs to block out noise. I prefer having like a sound machine in the back that gives some background noise. So just really thinking through what's going to work for you. And then from there, I think setting some timers to remind you, because I, the thing I find at least for myself and for a lot of patients is, you know, next thing we know it's midnight and we're like, ah, shoot, I missed my bedtime and now I'm only going to get five hours of sleep. So just setting reminders to be able to go, okay, it's an hour before when I want to go to bed, what do I have to get done? Yeah. And being more proactive about it. So like I try to go to bed at 10. Mm -hmm. So if I go to bed at 10 and I get eight hours of sleep, I feel more well rested than if I go to bed at 1230, but still get eight hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. Like what is that second wind that kind of throws off our circadian rhythm. I think a lot of times the second wind is cortisol. Yeah. So we're getting like like a second boost. Yep. Like the court, that's right. When like, you're like, okay, well I could either go to sleep now or else I'm going to get like two hours worth of a project done. Usually if we checked your levels right then, I'm, my guess is it's going to be a high cortisol, but it, it could also be high adrenaline and it just carries you through that second wind. And then you're, yeah, it's kind of At the same time, yes, you're getting your project done, but you're also throwing off your digestion, your hormones, your immune system, your nervous system. Is it worth it? Everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's a ripple effect. So as soon as the cortisol does something different than optimal, it's going to send signals to those four systems, digestion, immune, nervous system, and hormones. So women are going to have menstrual cycles off track. Fertility is going to be decreased. Immune system is going to be, you know, more likely to catch a cold or more likely to have autoimmunity digestion issues are going to start popping up. So literally like too little sleep could lead to infertility. It can. Wow. Yes. I work with a lot of fertility cases and we implement the same stress approach or stress recovery approaches. Hey, the ovaries are listening and they're noticing (laughs) the stress around you. As soon as the ovaries notice stress, they take it as a signal that you're not paying attention to the ovary. They're like, okay, we're out. Go deal with the stress. Tell us when you're done. <laughs> and then we'll come back and say hello. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have some clients that only fall asleep to the TV. And it's like this habit from childhood. But that 
light is affecting our melatonin production. Is that right? It is. I was mentioning about having some background noise. Yeah. So there are ways where you can say on your phone or, you know, buying a sound machine that doesn't involve the light exposure. So you can still get that kind of if it helps to have a background noise to kind of distract your mind, you can do that without it having to involve light exposure. And plus, if it's a TV, I guess you if you have a TV in your room, I was thinking, you know, then you're falling asleep on the couch, then you got to wake up and get yourself into the bed. That happens too. No, these are people with TVs in their bedroom. Maybe, okay, TV in the bedroom. Yeah, so try getting a different kind of a sound machine that doesn't involve light exposure. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. I just recommended cold turkey stop, and that was not... Uh... <laughs> that was not well received. It's more like, okay, what is it about that behavior that's helping and let's find another solution? And I think sometimes it helps to just understand that even if our eyes are closed, this is pretty amazing. Even though our eyes are closed, our brain is still perceiving the light in the room. Like we would think, oh, it's only if my eyes are open, I'm going to see the light. Even if your eyes are closed, your brain is picking up on the light in the room and it's turning off your melatonin. If the melatonin's off, it's going to be a lot harder to sleep and you're not getting that restorative sleep. We know now that our brains do a whole clean out process while we're sleeping. That's another one that motivates me to sleep is if we're getting our sleep, our brain is doing its sort of self-cleaning oven process. And if our brain is not getting that self-cleaning oven process happening, we have double the risk of dementia. Wow. Yeah. That's freaking scary. That is scary. So it's like, okay, I'm going to get my sleep. I got to get my brain cleaned out. Yeah. <laughs> For the people who are night shift workers. Mm. So my mom was a night shift pharmacist in a hospital for like 25 years, 35 years. And now she's retired five years after retirement, still has sleeping issues. And she was taking Ambien for a while. And I was like, let's get you off the Ambien. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what would you recommend for that kind of person who has like such a mm -hmm. deep seated, trained circadian rhythm? Yeah. There has been shown health risks with working in the night shift. Yeah. So it's a really important time even while you're working the night shift to really, to me, that's a stress that we just have to support the body through. And that person who works the night shift still does need the seven and a half hours of darkness during sleep. They just have to do it during the day. Now, in your mom's case, where she's trying to recover and get back onto a circadian rhythm where she's awake during the day, I think it would help to do, I would start by doing the testing. You know, what is her cortisol doing? Is her, sometimes I do a cortisol level on a person and it literally looks like they're functioning on the time zone from the other side of the world. I'm like, if you were in India, this would be perfect <laughs> because it's literally like the cortisol is opposite. It's low in the morning, high at night. So we just, it's possible to shift it, but we're going to have to give the body lots of signals to pick up on the right signaling to do it. So we need to get light exposure in the morning. So the body's like, oh, this is when I'm supposed to wake up and darkness at night. And then we can use the different herbs and nutrients that either increase or decrease cortisol. So we can overemphasize the cortisol signal in the morning Herbs like rhodiola and green tea and licorice or glycerizin will increase cortisol in the morning. And then we're going to overemphasize decreasing the cortisol at night and until the body starts to relearn this new circadian rhythm. A lot of people will address sleep issues. So let's say they have insomnia, like my mother directly kind of taking Ambien mm -hmm. versus kind of going to the root cause of like dealing with the cortisol mm -hmm. issue. Mm -hmm. As a practitioner, 
obviously you're trying to look at like the big picture, but do you ever supplement with like melatonin or anything like that? Love this question. And my other book, by the way, is called The Natural Insomnia Solution. And I talk about this all in that book. So if you're, if someone's really struggling with sleep, that's a great place to just really hear more about how I approach sleep. And you know, one of the tricky things with say Ambien is, I mean, it, sometimes it's necessary if a person is just not sleeping for long periods of time, but, um, Ambien use also increases risk of dementia. So you're in this situation where you're like not sleeping increases dementia, but taking Ambien does too. So we really need to solve it. It's like a double whammy. It is. Yeah. It's not good option. So really our only option is we have, as you're saying, we have to look at the big picture and go, you know, in the natural insomnia solution, I talk about 12 different possible causes for sleep issues. So it's, it could be cortisol. It could be adrenaline that's affecting it. It could also be blood sugar levels that are imbalanced and it could be horm other hormones, um, say estrogen, progesterone that are out of balance, could be some of the neurotransmitters like serotonin. And so you mentioned melatonin. Yes, a person could try taking melatonin, but even better, I think, is to test your melatonin levels first. So the Dutch test you mentioned, that's a urine hormone panel. We can measure your melatonin. Let's find out if the melatonin's low. If it's low, then I would say, okay, well, we know melatonin is made in our bodies from serotonin. And serotonin is made in our bodies in our digestive tract from amino acid called 5-HTP. So I just reverse engineer it using the biochemistry. So I go, okay, if melatonin, yes, I could, you could start taking some melatonin. But even better would be, let's find out why is your digestion not making adequate serotonin? Do we have food sensitivities, leaky gut, imbalanced gut bacteria. Let's heal that digestion so that your body can make serotonin and then can convert that to melatonin. It's a really more holistic approach. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I love this idea of like test, don't guess. I mean, we do that in our practice in like a physical perspective, but Let's finish the acronym. Oh, yeah. Okay, so what's R? So, so A was adequate sleep. R is for stress-reducing activities. R is reducing stress. So that can be just integrating into your day because a lot of times we think, oh, I'm going to wait till I'm on vacation or wait till the weekend That's to totally reduce me. stress, right? <laughs> That's totally me, yes. <laughs> I mean, I hear it all the time and it's like, and then what happens is you finally have your week vacation and like the washing machine breaks or the flood happens. or So you really never have your recovery. So what I suggest doing is just sprinkling in, I call it sprinkling in st stress reduction throughout every day. If it means on every hour, stand up or do some squats or go for a walk or put on some music or take a deep breath. Even if it's little things, even if it takes you a minute to five minutes throughout the day, that's going to make a difference. We know from the studies, everything from meditation, mindfulness, gardening, reading, listening to music, talking to a friend, all of these things help our bodies recover from stress a little bit. So we may as well do them on purpose. Sometimes there are things you're doing already, but it's just you go, oh, I'm going to do more of that because it actually is helping my cortisol recover from the stress I'm exposed to. So you literally have people like set an alarm yeah. Every hour. And here I am with my, my iWatch. So iWatch is doing this for me. It's like, it's every so often it gives me a little signal and says, you know, take a minute to do some deep breaths, stand up. One of my favorites actually this past year is I got a standing desk. So most of the time that I'm working Love with it. patients, I'm standing and 
it's huge. It, I mean, you would know, right? For yeah. just physiology and posture and way better than hunching over a desk all day long. Yeah. Well, we find that when people are sitting all day, they start to hunch. They're not able to take a good breath. They start to chest breathe and they get anxious, just like less oxygen and brain fog. So it's interesting because a lot of people, when they get a standing desk, three weeks after they get it, they fall off the bandwagon because they go from sitting 10 hours a day to standing 10 hours a day. And then they're like, my feet hurt, my back hurts. And so we say, do your really intense work sitting like 20 to 30 minutes. And then something like a conference call or like a gentle spreadsheet, stand up and do it. And it should be like up, down, up, down, not eight hours of standing and then, or eight hours of sitting. Well, and it's such a good point. Like it, even with exercise, you know, there's a certain amount that's good for us. But even if it's something good for us, like a standing desk or exercise, we can overdo it. And then that became a stress. Yeah. So we see people over exercise or even like our ultra marathoners come in and I'm like, this is not my specialty, but you should go get checked for adrenal, mm-hmm. <laughs> adrenal fatigue or adrenal distress because you're not recovering well. A normal muscle strain is taking way longer to heal than it should. And it's really hard to like make that switch for that those kind of people who find stress relief and exercise, but are overdoing it. What should I tell those people? What's no, your I, think you're telling, I think you're saying exactly the right thing. And it's when you have a goal, like say marathon, you're like, okay, I'm, I, I know this is what I'm working toward. In some ways, I think it's a really good example for anyone, even who's not running a marathon. I think all of us are in some ways doing a marathon every day. Yes, absolutely. So how do we keep taking care of ourselves along the way and listen to our bodies. If injuries are not healing, if blood sugar is dropping or sleep is getting affected or then we know we're pushing ourselves too hard. So we need to go, okay, that might mean that person needs more sleep or may need to be taking some supplements to help their cortisol recovery after a long run. Or we need to just look at that and see what does their body need? Because it is under a lot of stress. Yeah. Why ignore that because then you're less likely to reach your goal of running a marathon or launching a business or whatever your goal is. What would be the supplements that you would recommend for like post running recovery for cortisol? I would test the levels, but I'm a lot of times with that a little bit of over-exercising will be high cortisol at first. So then we can, based on the testing, then we could use say phosphatidylserine to help bring it down. And then if, if it's later in the day or the next morning, then that their cortisol is depleted, then we would use the one of my favorites is I call it adrenal support. It just is a combination of, of nutrients because they're like vitamin C and B vitamins are also important for adrenal function. So we do an adrenal support combination in the morning to help with that boosting the adrenals to get through the day. Nice. Yeah. So what's E? E is exercise. Oh, so perfect. it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so C for clean eating, A for adequate sleep, R for reducing stress and E for exercise. So that by doing those, you know, implementing care on a regular basis, you're going to be not only doing stress recovery, but stress resilience so that you can just day to day be doing what it takes to stay healthy while stressed. Yeah. So how long, like, let's say people start They read Stress Warrior. They love it, of course. And then they start to integrate your recommendations. What's kind of an average? I know we kind of all go into this differently because of genetics and predispositions, but like how soon should someone start to feel a difference? Like maybe more energy or they're sleeping better through the night or... Most people I hear definitely within a month. Sometimes it's faster. Sometimes even within a couple of weeks. But definitely within a month, patients will come back saying, I feel like myself again. You know, I feel like my anxiety's down. My energy's up, 
I can focus. And sometimes it can take, you know, it's then over a period of time, maybe over three to six months where we really get the resilience going. But I look for steady improvement. And if there's not an improvement happening, that means we got to, we got to figure something out. Cause there's many times when way back when I would be say after naturopathic medical school, trying to help recover my adrenal glands. That's how I learned. I learned a lot of this for myself. From school, of course. Yes. And I tried a lot of different things and I would be like, oh, I don't feel anything. I don't feel any difference. If you're not feeling better, it means that that's not the right treatment for you. You got to like dig in and go, Hey, what are we missing? Is there some other cause? Is there a toxin exposure that's going on? Is there, you know, a mold toxin or toxin in the environment? Is there some other viral infection? Is there something else that's going on that's still depleting you? Then we can address that. And then we start to see a difference. It's such a broad scope of like things to look at. It's, it is. It's crazy. It's wild. I mean, that's why there are people like you in the world. Well, and because stress, yes, we usually think of like emotional stress or physical stress, say in overexercising. Yeah. But there's also stress in the form of certain foods or toxins or infections or injuries. And so it's how to address all of those different stresses, depending on the person and based on their genetics. So I look at people's genetics and say, hey, here, here's where your genetic tendencies are going to come into play. And what we know, we used to think our genetics were 100% of the equation. You know, if I have this genetic tendency, forget it, that's what's going to happen to my health. But now we know that's not the case. Genetics are somewhere between 10 and 15% of the equation. So it's an important part and we can use it to our advantage. But really the Part of the equation where we have the most power to make a difference is in our stress recovery. The more we help our bodies out with stress, we decrease our genetic tendencies and we improve our health. So how do we test our genetics? Yeah, I love that. There's Now there's more and more ways. A lot of times people have been doing, say, a 23andMe panel or Ancestry.com panel because yes. you can do it for like $99 and you can... From there, I mean, they're giving you your ancestry and your data file. Like literally like raw data. You're, you're literally like your genes in a, in a file. <laughs> and you then can go and put it through some different software to have it interpreted. I use a, a particular software most of the time called Stratagene because it really shows me the biochemical pathways that I and the most significant, clinically significant genes that I need to look at for patients' care. So that's the one I'm using right now. But this is a huge area of growth and there's going to be, I predict in the in the next months and, and year, even better ways to check our genetics and understand what we need to do with that for our health. Is that a tool that is only accessible to practitioners? People can do it on their own. The thing I warn against though, and a lot of people reach out to me because I also specialize in this one gene called MTHFR. And because people will often do a 23andMe and then they find out that they have MTHFR and then they're like, now what? Yeah. What am I supposed to do with this? And they might have even gone to practitioners who gave them the wrong information. A lot of times they're like, oh, you're, you should do this. And it's completely going to throw them off. So what I suggest is, yes, you can do some of this on your own, but I really recommend working with a practitioner who does this because, again, I have MTHFR myself, so I had to figure it all out. Can you give us like a little insight into like... So what MTH the heck is yeah, that? Yeah. I know it sounds like it's a swear word, MTHFR, <laughs> but it's basically actually pretty simple. It's just how our bodies and how well our bodies turn folic acid into folate, which is just a B vitamin. So we're talking about a B vitamin and we... We kind of know, oh yeah, B vitamins are important when we're stressed. And in particular, folate is important when we're stressed. But about 50% of us don't 
turn folic acid into folate very well. So if I'm taking folic acid, my body's going to have a much less likelihood of actually having the active form of folate to work with. So when a person has an MTHFR gene variation, it's better for them to avoid folic acid and only take folate. The question then is, how much folate do they need? And so that's the next question people always ask me, how much folate? And um, I would say the way we find that out is we have to then do a blood test called a homocysteine. And it's not a blood test that commonly is run by practitioners, although most labs can do it. But the homocysteine tells us about the biochemistry of folate and the other B vitamins. And by looking at homocysteine, then I can say, okay, now we have a better sense of whether you need more or less folate. Even then, I'm going to look at their stress because we know that, say a person has an MTHFR gene SNP, we call it a SNP or a gene variation. Yeah. If they have a lot of stress, whether it's emotional stress or some of these other stress factors we talked about, then we're going to need to manage the stress before we do anything with the folate. Because to me, it would be like, think of a, a sink with a clogged drain. If the drain is clogged and we just start turning on the faucet, the sink's going to be overflowing. We're not getting anywhere. Right. So we have to unclog the drain, which to me is do the stress recovery, find out what stresses are clogging the drain, first of all. Then we can look at the homocysteine and decide about how much are we going to turn on the faucet of folate. So it's a, it's not a simple answer about how much folate does this person need. We need to evaluate their clogged drain and their faucet. <laughs> first. <laughs> right. Become a plumber. Nice. <laughs> so where can people find you? They can find me at drdonnie.com. Donnie is spelled D-O-N-I. So just, you can go D-R-D-O-N-I.com. I do have a online class if someone's interested in MTHFR oh, cool. yeah. and they want to just learn more about what I'm talking about with this, they can find that at drdonnie.com. And then I have the Stress Warrior book. The fastest way to get to that book is just stresswarriorbook.com because you're going to be able to read it for free right there. Amazing. It's online, yep. And you're going to be able to sign up for my seven-day stress reset. In the seven-day stress reset, I guide you through implementing the care activities we talked about. So the eating, the sleep, the stress reduction, the exercise. What I do is I help you implement a little bit each day. Because if we try to do it all at once, now we're stressing ourselves out again. Right. We're stressing about stress. <laughs> Don't stress about stress. That's the first rule. <laughs> Don't stress about stress and implement it in small increments that you can actually achieve and feel the difference. So that's what the seven day stress reset helps you do. And it's, it's free there at the stresswarriorbook.com. What a great resource. I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been so fun. And um, we're like basically neighbors a I couple know. blocks away. I'm so glad to see you today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, guys. So we're running a fun contest. You get to win Dr. Donnie's book, Stress Warrior. So first, go to iTunes, rate and review Muscle Medicine Podcast. Tell us what you think of this episode. And then go to bit.ly slash stress warrior to enter and win. And we will choose a winner in a week and we will announce it on social media at Urban Wellness Clinic on Instagram and Urban Wellness Clinic on Facebook. So go ahead, enter. Her book is so great, so accessible, super easy tips, great outline. 
just really easy to start to integrate into your day every day to start to beat stress. And who doesn't need more of that? See you guys next week. 